Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello. Hello, 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 and welcome to Food for Thought, a podcast gathers for in a multiracial mix of queer writers gather around the table to talk about sex. Identity. Culture. Ow! <laughs> what we like to read and who we like to read. Food for thought if Cummy Lube was a podcast. Oh. Oh, no. oh my God. <laughs> Honestly, yes, though, where is we the will, line? Didn't we, at, we will give you HPV. Didn't we at, we will. Didn't we at one point call Cummy Lube uh, Santorum? <laughs> yes. Do you remember that this? Was, that was... We did. That was particularly, I think, with rectal yes. fluids. With the rectal was yes. by definition not just cummy lube, cum plus lube plus, plus rectal fe- fluids. Fe- yes. Fecal matter. It's fully I in Urban they, Dictionary. We can still say it. Fe- fecal matter was optional. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Just fluids. Fluids in general. Just anal rectal fluids. Yeah. Fecal I'm, matter I'm, is always optional. It is team, on team the This is getting nauseous as we. <laughs> Carry on. I'm just like, all of my life choices are flashing before my eyes. I'm just going to get us the fuck out of here. I'm Tommy Teebs Pico. I'm a reader, writer, former figure skater. Just kidding. <laughs> you little I'm a, a poet, a TV writer, screenwriter, and I'm a bitch. Thanks. That is that is true. That is 100% accurate. I am Joseph Osmondson, scientist, not fiction, non-fiction writer, and I'm not a tender queer. I'm a parboiled fan. Fagot. Oh, love that. Parboiled. I think you're a stale fagot. Delicacy. I'm Fran. I'm a writer. I'm an editor. And while we were discussing Santorum, I was enjoying a delicious egg sandwich. So, very comfortable with fluids of any kind. Mm -mm, mm -mm. Oh, dear Lord. I'm Den Michelle Norris, and I am a reader, writer, and a former figure skater. And... I am still a bottom, despite numerous campaigns to make me otherwise. What? There are campaigns? What are the, there are campaigns? There are campaigns. Nearly every straight man that I talk to on Tinder, OkCupid, wants to be fucked by me. And I am like, I am not that kind of trans That woman. is bad. That, that is chaser behavior. That is just like yeah. the biggest eye roll of like... 100% chaser behavior. Speaking of misconceptions, you know, or, or people trying to put things on you, there's also a campaign to label me as a bisexual, which I'm what? so confused mm-hmm. by. Like, what? I think... I, think I, I don't know. First of all... So, okay, this First is all, a lot more hilarious. You? Yeah. The, <laughs> the more hilarious one was um, when the term BIPOC started to emerge, and they were like, Tommy T's Topeka, a BIPOC writer, and I was like, does that mean bisexual POC? Like, how dare they? And then, like, some reviewers of some of my books said something about bisexual, re- and it was like, I think... I remember that. Yeah, and I was like... Was I, it in the New York Times? I can't, Did the New York Times call you bisexual? I think the, the wow. writer just, like, couldn't see through... Uh, through through anybody else's lens but themselves so they assumed right. that I was also attracted to women and I was just like <laughs> I'm uh, I hope I'm not out here in these streets misrepresenting myself <laughs> I am going to make a, a, a crowdfund me you know one of those uh, petition websites to make you be bisexual <laughs> We will collect petitions. Change.org. Signatures. Change.org to make Tommy Teeps peak. Honestly, Teeps, I could see it. I could see it. Now, I'm not saying that I started that rumor, but I'm not not saying it either. (laughs) I feel like if you found the right butch woman with a leather jacket and tights who had an amazing karaoke voice. I agree. You wouldn't say no. Does she skateboard too? She absolutely skateboards. All right. Well, that's and and she's six two. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, hello. Okay. Uh, I, I'm gonna, I take actually the fully had um, a I, I had a crush on someone in college who had that exact profile. They are now a trans man, so it all makes there sense. 
but I'm just saying, I truly, truly did. They walked into my first day of my sociology class, and I was like, who is that? And I was like, fully I, on board. I love, and I wish there were more queer spaces that had equal numbers of men and women and all different genders, but it is like one of my favorite things to view like someone who sees themselves as like a Kinsey Six, like a monosexual gay man, see like a butch cis woman and like the, the 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 masculinity turns them on and they get all like confused as though it's like short circuiting the brain one of my favorite activities let me tell you i know we're going in deep right from the top but like i have to say that the whole like honestly like kinsey's system is largely seen as flawed anyways and like i remember identifying like as a kinsey five and like i like the more and more i live my life i'm like i feel like i'm all over the place you know like I, I'm, I'm shockingly less gay than i thought you know i'm being facetious Friend. that i Obviously, it doesn't make you less gay, but like truly, <laughs> you're 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 being chaotic. I can't. I think, that doesn't. I think I'm exhibiting <laughs> that... kind of by behavior. I'm not gonna lie. Wow. Like, but oh, wow. Welcome. TBD. Welcome to the club. Yeah. I would like to also posit, like, I'm imagining this person walking into Den's sociology class, and the the sound that Den made, that Den's. I, I just imagine the bussy went. <laughs> That's yeah. pretty accurate. That's pretty accurate. And there was certainly a sharp intake of breath. There was a gay gas. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we've waited way, way I've, too I've far got the into the deep end. I've all got right. the menu. I've got the menu. Get Today we're talking all about tender queers as if we know what the hell that mm-hmm. is. For our first course, Den is going to take us on a ride, I believe. Den, are you calling us a car? And for dessert, we end with one delicious bite. Mwah. I'm feeling kind of peckish. Like, uh, I, you know, I think we should start the top of the show the way any good top should, with a little tease, our uproarious appetizer segment, Amuse Boosh. And to amuse your booshes, Den has an impure thought. That's right. I do. Okay. So, uh, dear thoughties, you might remember that um, I think probably two seasons ago, I shared an impure thought um about a hookup that i had with um a, an uber driver and part of the whole genesis of that story happening is that i wasn't even particularly attracted to this driver i just i went through with the hookup because i was like this is going to be a great story and this will never happen to me again. And it was. It was. Like, a good it story. was research. Yes, it was research. research. You can write. You it can was, write that lift ride off on your taxes yeah. because that was at work, yeah, baby. It, it was, was work. It, oh, and it and it and it absolutely was work. And also, like the number of times that I have engaged in sexual behavior, even like way pre food for thoughts, purely because I was like, this is going to be a good story, like. It's probably too many, but I'm not ashamed. Look, it's called not being ashamed. a writer. It is called being a writer um, and also being a hoe. And and both of these things are valuable. Mm -hmm. So I fully was like, I fully did it because I was like, this is never going to happen. I had that first ride, that first Lyft ride. That um, first ride. I forget what it was, but I had it in which I I sucked this this married man's dick um, in the back of the SUV with the tinted windows by the side of the road, a block from my apartment. He pulled over um, right by where there was a fire hydrant. And I, and I did this for the story. Um, And at the time, uh, Pose, I think Pose season two was airing. And so my friends and I, we would go to our friend's apartment, our, my, our friends who let me stay in their apartment over winter break when I was quarantining, um, which it's a, it's this fabulous like penthouse on 42nd street. And so, um, they would host every week, like a viewing party of Pose and we would all gather, we'd go, we'd have dinner. It was super fun. And it would end late. And so I would take a car because I lived in Williamsburg at the time. So I was like, I'm taking a car back to Brooklyn. So I did it this, this one night, the following week I was away traveling. Um, I think doing food for thought stuff. I think we might've been at like Tin House that summer or something. So I was away. So I missed a week. I come back. I go to my friends um, for the next episode. So this is two weeks later. So two weeks later, um, I'm leaving my friend's apartment. I call a car. I get into the car. And the first thing I notice is this is maybe 
the hottest man I have ever seen in my entire life. He is like seven feet tall. He is super thick and muscular. And this is July. So he's wearing um, just this tank top. And you should know, I don't know if I've ever talked about this on the show. I really have a thing for men who wear like chains around their neck, like like a chain or a necklace. Um, It just like, it really turns me on. It feels... Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I love mm-hmm. I love a dirt bag. Same, I love a muscular dirt bag. And he's got like the perfect amount of chest hair like popping out in a little tuft like from his um very tight tank top. And I'm just like, okay. And I've his- seen this clip on Pornhub. Yeah. You <laughs> most definitely We've all seen this clip. And so I get in and I'm like, oh shit, I have this 30 minute car ride. Like I'm not gonna be able to handle myself. So I get in the car. They this is one of those um buildings where there's like a, a like a hotel. There's like a full driveway, like a full semicircle driveway. So he's pulled into the driveway. I get I, I get into the car. Um we get out onto 42nd Street, we get to the first stoplight. And he's talking to me, and I barely understand anything he's saying. But at this point, he's asked me, with literally within like a minute and a half, he's asked me to get out of the car and get into the front seat next to him. Oh, I'm sure he yes. did. Yes. Um, <laughs> so I did it. Oh, <laughs> I did it. Wow. <laughs> there was no traffic. There was, and then. He let me take control of his iPhone so I could choose what music we listened to in the car oh as god. we drove. Oh my god. And I was feeling very gay, so I chose Madonna. <gasps> Which Madonna song do you remember? Um, it started with so I don't know if people know this song really well, but it's actually maybe my favorite Madonna song. It's a tough call because there's so many. But this song Jump that she does. Okay. Oh, that's on that's on uh the Confessions on a Dance Floor. Yes, so- it's on Confessions on a Dance Floor. I feel like I think it was a single, but I don't think it was like a super popular song, but I actually just love it. I I love, love, love Wait, that so song. So then what happened? So sorry. Anyway, so <laughs> at that point. We just start driving, and he eventually wants me to put my hand on top of his hand on the gear shift, and he starts, like, rubbing my hand, and then he starts saying, so, um, what are you, like, when you get home, like, what are you, and uh, keep in mind, he he has a thick Turkish accent. Ooh. He He's very, very thick Ooh. accent. So he's like, what, um, he's like, what are you doing? And I was like, I, I don't have plans i'm gonna go to bed and he's like well you look tense maybe you need a massage this is like it is god bless the lord for hovering yeah. over you in good ways <laughs> <laughs> because every single decision you've made up to this point is like how horror films begin. okay listen unfortunately Fully- the whole time i've been thinking about how hot this is so safety has not I been know, in my realm of this- thought yet this is like some summer of Sam bullshit. Like, yeah, just, I'm like, I'm truly like, I am not turned on. I am mortified. Yeah. I'm both. I, yeah. <laughs> What's funny is that I mean, I'm one scared usually of follows the other. Okay, let's be real. That is true. Fully true. I'm usually scared of everything. I'm always like, this is how I die. Like, this is terrible. <laughs> I had no fear. I maybe it's because the last one had ended up safe, but he had not. It had not like he had just like he had just it had just been in his car. But I was not scared of anything. I was very horny. This also I think I might have thought to myself at one point this man is so hot that if I die from this like no regrets. So anyway, I mean, I felt that way before. I also don't really want to live, so I'm just kind of like, oh, Period. sure, why not? This it reminds me of that that Ali Wong joke or where she's like, um, I don't want to die, but I don't know if I want to live. <laughs> yes. 100%. Yes. Al- it was Ali Wong's second special that made me be like, I need to get over my issues and start eating ass. And- if Ali Wong can do it, so can I. Oh, wow. <laughs> she read the first five minutes of that special. She read bitches who do not eat ass for filth. And I was like, wow. Because especially because I because I'm like, you have to eat my ass if you want to fuck me. Like I like there's no other way. So 
she she I was like, wow, you wrote this for me, Allie. Thank you. And, like, wow. And it, it's just a little salty. That's all. And that's how Dan got Giardia. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the only reason I brought it up is because her most recent special, she spent the whole time talking about how her husband is a freeloader yes, yes, and yes. she wants to that. cheat on him. And I was like, this is an exact projection of my future. Like, I'm going to create a Netflix special about how bad I want to cheat on my husband and he will divorce me immediately. <laughs> that... that. That truly is peak. Anyways, Fran. um, you're about to give um, Roadhead while Jump by Madonna plays. <laughs> yes, yes. So, so anyway, no. So the the drive goes well. We're just flirting. Um, we're listening to Madonna. He's rubbing my hand. Then he starts rubbing my thigh. Um, but he keeps it pretty clean on the road. And and he just keeps saying. And you know, when we get to your apartment you know, I'll give you a massage. I'll give you a massage. And I'm, I'm like, there's no way that this, this, uh, any way that this ends, I'm going to be happy because I love massages and I love getting fucked. So, you know, so. <laughs> That's we, such a Real Housewives tagline. <laughs> Get turned <laughs> <on> <laughs> wait, 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 Zen, what was the name of your hometown again? Cleveland Heights. <laughs> The Real Housewives of Cleveland Heights! <laughs> Wait, what was the name of the mall? Oh, Beachwood Place. No, the other one where... Parmatown. Parmatown Mall! The Real Housewives of the Parmatown oh, Mall, God. bitch! Parmatown. I oh, love God. massages that, and I um, love getting fucked. Coming at you from the the uh, the uh, bedroom section at Sears in the Parmatown Mall. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> The salad works at Parmatown Mall is all green jello and sour cream. Yeah. Oh, um, anyway, anyway, so we find a parking space. We find like the easiest parking space that I've ever found in that neighborhood. Um, one block from my apartment. We walk up. I like have to pee like a motherfucker. And I'm freaking out because most of the time, I'm just going to say I'm very regular. Most of the time I poop in the morning. I had not pooped that day. And I was like, now I have to poop with this man in my apartment because I want to get fucked. Oh. So it's all fine. Oh we get into the building. We make out a little bit my room. I'm like, I'm like, give me three minutes. Like, let me go do this. <gasps> I go do it. It's fine. He, co- I come back. I come back from the bathroom. Wait, so you pooped? Yes. So I oh pooped. My. And, and you and and you didn't shower. I, I did a st- thorough you can, cleaning. You can do a thorough cleaning. I mean, uh, you can do okay. a thorough cleaning. Okay. But, but that's. That's still, uh, that's quite brave, I will say. <laughs> that seems like a Joe move to yeah, me. Yeah, it does. It's not. It is not lies, a Joe move. No, no, no. Lies. You will not besmirch me thusly <laughs> on, I will, I will on the radio that, waves. That, um, I probably used like half a package of those wipes, those baby wipes. Uh, but, uh-huh. you know, they got the job done. As long done. as you got in deep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Little, I mean, get the little, yeah, finger, little, get the little finger like up around. You, you know, you do the little, you do the little swirl. Yeah. I will say, I did not actually make him eat my ass, though. Oh. I did not. Oh, there we go. I don't. We don't. You don't have to do that every time you fuck me. Um, and that's where I'll be like, mm, we'll see. But anyway, I did what I had to do. I walk back out into my bedroom. And by the way, this is the bedroom that Teebs used to live in. This is when I lived in Teebs' old apartment. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Well, that if those walls could talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh. uh, well, the rats in them can, oh, most certainly. by the way. <laughs> anyway, um, so I walk out and he had, it was like, it was literally like something out of a film. I walk into the bedroom. He is sprawled out on my bed <gasps> with his arms like behind his chest, just like leaning oh, there. Oh, that's hot. Mm-hmm. Jerking, jerking his dick oh. slowly. Ooh. I was like, "That's really what is my good. life right now?" That's yeah. a good it was very move. Hot. Yeah, it was a good move. I was like, "Wow." So um, at that point, I mean, I just go to town, right? I just get on my knees. I give him his dick is massive. Oh, like wow. like his whole body is massive. I give him. Um, the best, maybe the best blowjob of my life. Wow. And I stopped just short of him coming because I like, I'm like, no, I want him to like fuck me. And then he, he picks me up and stands me on the side of the bed <gasps> and bends me over and gets up behind me. Oh, then you love to be picked up. You, I love, I love to be picked up. You know, I love to be thrown around like a little rag doll. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's, that's what I like. And he just goes to town 
pounding me in like every position. Um, it's all over. It's all over the room. He moves me. I had this giant bookshelf that Teebs might remember. He pushes me up against it. And I have been pushed against up against that. that bookshelf. I have also been lifted up on that bookshelf. I feel like that bookshelf <laughs> did not consent to these sexual encounters. <laughs> All I, you know, the walls in that bedroom were purple. That bookshelf knew what it was getting itself into. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, he moved me over by the win- by the window, and and this is the second time I've been fucked through. We opened we opened the window, and he like bent me through the window, which was super super hot. And I was like, I feel like neighbors can hear. This might be a problem, but I didn't I, care. Oh, fun fact. I've also been put in that position on that window. And I told the person, like, I think, what if somebody sees us? And he was like, I don't give a fuck. And I was like, oh. Period. <laughs> Period. I basically said the same thing. I was like, someone's going, I was like, someone's going to see us. Because this is right in the middle of fucking Brooklyn. Like, there's buildings all around us. And he's like, he was like, I don't care. It was so hot. It was so hot. We ended, we ended fully on the floor. He was fucking me up against the door, yeah. like on the floor. And, but he fucked me for like a good hour, hour and a half. Too much. Too much. <laughs> don't you, like it. I actually you don't know, I like, like a it. long session. I like a long session as we <laughs> of know. You do. As we know. Um, and anyway, when it finally ended up, what was it? Like he came in fully dressed, right? Like fully dressed. He, he, he finishes. I finish. He gets up. He like pulls me up to my feet, sits me down on the bed, kisses me again. Um, I did pull down his pants and give him another blowjob <gasps> because I couldn't help myself. Dead. And then, then when he finishes, um, he just gives me like a sweet little pat on my, on my cheek, grabs his clothes, puts on, is wearing only his shoes and his pants and walks out, just walks out. Doesn't need me. I mean, I, I was not in a position to, doesn't need me to like walk him to the he door. He doesn't even like put his shirt do. on. Doesn't put his shirt on, just walks this out. man fuck boy behavior fuck boy in behavior pornography that was <laughs> incredible this man was an exceptional lay where is he now did you give him a good yeah, rating where, where is i he do now? not know and he gave me his number but i never texted him slash you lost i was it. like i was convinced i was like this is <laughs> this was a dream this didn't happen like this was a dream babe, but no like this did happen babe that's hot i don't care about the danger i'm team this man it was super hot. I actually want to actually... discover this man because he should be on OnlyFans. Maybe he is already. Maybe he is right now. I wish I could remember his name. Okay, think... we're, we're, by the power of our Googles combined, we're going to find <laughs> yeah. this Literally man. all we need is for Dad to look at her Uber, her Uber app. <laughs> yes. It's literally all yes. we need. And, and by, actually, by probably. God's will, that, won't, that will never happen. Um, From 2019. It was the, the thing that made me feel like because i am always scared of everything and like i am super cautious but it was one of the moments that made me be like you know what sometimes you have to be wild and make bad decisions and it like, di- is worth it and works out the difference between den and me is that i would not have made that i would have been too afraid of death but if this man came over and fucked me that way there is no way in hell i would not have like texted him the next day or the day after that and eventually tried to wife this man <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no no, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I'm. I think he had a girlfriend or something. Like, I think that he was a very closeted Turkish immigrant. Um, that was the sense that I got from the situation. But um, because the whole time he was like, he was like, I can't kiss you. Like, I don't kiss. <gasps> oh, oh, that sucks. I love kissing. I don't like that. I don't like. I that. mean, if which he's normally just fuck my brains out. I mean, I I, I could take. I, I I could still enjoy that, but I do like to kiss. Yeah, yeah. I do, I wouldn't normally be into it, but I was like, you know, you I'm you know, you, if you if you are a person, if you are a man on Grinder that says no kissing, you better lay that pipe. Mm-hmm. Let me tell yes. you, mm-hmm. you Absolutely. have to earn a no kissing policy. Okay, because mm-hmm. if you come in. Mm-hmm. And you say no kissing, and and you give us four pumps, and you head out of there. I'm gonna be mad. No, I'm gonna yeah. be mad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If if, if yeah. you're gonna jump right over foreplay, like I need to know ahead of time that it's worth it. You have got to be a 100%. professional grade plumber. Plum- you know what I mean? <laughs> Mario ass shit. Say okay. And that tongue better be hella talented yes, Mario too. Mario ass shit. Let's go. Yeah, very. <laughs> <laughs> you have. You need to eat that pussy. Like, 
Like, your life depends on it if you don't kiss. Wow. Well done. Let me just say that. That was the juiciest. We haven't had an ampere thought in a while. Thank you so much for the juicy, juicy thought story. Yes. You know, sometimes it pays to hook up with a driver. I think it's time we got to the meat of our discussion, the thought process spelled T-H-O-T. T-H-O-T. And, uh... Fran, I believe you have the meat this week. That's right, dear thoughties. Okay, I am going to start off by saying that earlier this month, Killing Eve, a beloved lesbian melodrama about an assassin and a detective that fell in love, um, aired its series finale. And let me tell you, the queers were not happy. With the death of, spoiler alert, Jodie Comer's Villanelle, the think pieces were abundant okay we got gay times we got them us we got pink news down bad like reporting outrage and you know a lot of these personal essays had fans calling villanelle's death a betrayal they talked about it as a failure to the community and that it was allegedly made to represent and you know others said this was a reiteration of the barrier gaze trope despite the fact that the show is about literal serial murderers Um, And much of this sentiment came from, you know, corners of the internet known otherwise as the tender queers. So although the actual definition of a tender queer is very murky, as is the case with any internet-y buzzword, tender queers are a class of folks on the LGBTQ spectrum that wear performative activism as a kind of aesthetic. Tender queers pride themselves on being sensitive, and their feelings are prioritized kind of over everything. And so the word harm, or in the case of this betrayal, are kind of thrown around a lot and very authoritatively in an attempt to problematize anything that irks them. Uh, And this, you know, can come with good intention. Sometimes these people are actually really trying to make good change in the world. And other times they're people that are saying that kink doesn't belong at Pride because it's non-consensual. They're often younger, but tender queers can come in all ages. The language is a little watery. It's imbued with therapy talk. They've kind of collected a lexicon of language built by organizers and used it for their own purposes. Um, So we're all going to attempt to have a conversation about, you know, just this whole phenomenon without sounding obliteratingly old. But to start, do any of y'all have a story wherein you encountered the agony of a tender queer or perhaps someone who you felt exploited social justice language to get their own way? Mm. Yes. <laughs> Although I think See? this person was probably like a proto uh, tender mm-hmm. queer. I don't, we didn't have that kind of language for it back then, but he yeah. was the kind of guy who, you know, if we left a restaurant, would always make sure to give his leftovers to like an unhoused person and mm. like seemed like a, uh, like there was like a virtue about him but then mm-hmm. would was a complete asshole to me and i was like <laughs> wait so how are you like this this organizer protest etc and yet interpersonally you're like the worst yeah. and i remember oh at a certain point like i had we were in an argument and i i told him that he needed to take the relationship seriously and the word that i used was you need to man up and that was probably like not the best but he spent a half an hour about why that word was um abusive <laughs> wow and like and it was like i could we so we we would never actually talk about my grievances or like what right. i had to argue right. about we were always right. talking about like my position my uh, or right. you know yeah. or like my tone or like how i was disturbing the space and i was just like man fuck you <laughs> yeah You know, it's so funny. Tender queers are merely a jumping off point for this conversation. I think that they often get a kind of rap of being a particularly young generation. But I really do think that tender queer behavior, quote unquote, or or however we want to talk about it or call it, just comes from anywhere and everywhere and has existed since the dawn of time. But like... Damn, Teebs, like that really is a reminder of something that must be said 
activists and people that are, you know, really good at social justice and are incredible movement workers can also be anybody assholes. can be a fucking asshole. And you could any anybody, anybody of any can kind be of an ability asshole. or race or religion or whatever at any intersection, you could be all of those things and be an asshole. You could be an asshole. Anybody yes. can be an asshole. Period. Mm. Period. I, I feel like I think a lot about this time. Um I've I've had a, an ongoing fight that is uh, more or less um, I would say dying down because these people have been completely, I think, finally stopped being taken seriously on the left. But the dirtbag left, you know, the Chapo Trap House po- uh, podcast people who are like so anti anyone but Bernie Sanders. I mean, they were the people calling like Elizabeth Warren a snake and like a lib and like mm. and, and it's, it has all these crazy sexist overtones and they're overtly homophobic. Um, and I definitely got in a quote, like quote tweeted by them. But the thing about these those people on the dirtbag left is they had a podcast with like 500,000 weekly listeners. And every time they quote tweeted someone, your mentions were he- I mean, so much homophobic nonsense. And these are ostensibly mm. people who, with whom I'm like aligned politically. But because I like Elizabeth Warren more than Bernie Sanders, because I think he's kind of a dick and I liked her policies, um, I, I suddenly was like, I, I was doing harm to, to real leftists yeah. and working class people. It's like this tiny disagreement over leftists. And, and this is like, goes, this is lefty fa- fraction nonsense that goes back to like, I mean, there's there's suit talk about problematic, but Monty Python has a movie, The Life of Brian, and there's this amazing scene in that movie where it's like different lefty factions just like yelling at each other, and they're all it's like all like three people sitting in the Coliseum, and they're like "fuck you" and "fuck you," you know. It's just like they cannot yeah. organize together to yeah. do anything, and this has like been true of leftist spaces since forever. Yeah, um, but I definitely have felt that like. It's it's the, it's the purity test, right? Like if you yeah. are not X Y Z agree with me on these things, you are doing harm. You are a lib. You're part of the like the order that wants to maintain the status quo. You're racist. You're classist. You hate working people. And it's just like if you hold everyone to that type of standard, you cannot build coalitions. You cannot work with people. Your your like movement is destined to fail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's also literally I've seen it. I mean, I can't share details, but like I've seen it from the inside of like other actions. Like it it really is like sad almost because none of them can see outside of their own asshole to pause for a minute on the task. Mm-hmm. At hand. It's mm-hmm. also really <clears throat> one of the things that feels really sort of disappointing about that, especially when it, like, I don't really, I'm not really in those circles. I don't feel like I really see much of this or or am exposed to all that much of it, except when we're in election season and when Bernie Sanders in particular is running. Um, but one of the things that's also really disappointed about uh, disappointing about it is that it completely ignores the idea that as progressive thinking people and progressive leaning, pe- at the least progressive leaning people, that we don't deserve choices. Like, that we can only have one candidate who represents represents us, represents our values, and 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 can be the right candidate. When in fact, our entire political system is based on um, minimizing options and minimizing choices. That's why we have a two-party system to begin with. And so it's like, as people who are progressive-minded, isn't it better for us to, um, you know, especially when we're talking about primaries, have, you know, multiple... Um, candidates and potential representatives who can represent our interests and then we can sort through them and figure out who are going to be the best people to politic in Washington DC which is a reality and get the job done it's like we we deserve choices too but instead it's like that thinking and behavior it's like eliminating choice for everyone who doesn't agree with just me um and and seizing Mm. complete control and it's like that's also not Mm. that that's not what progressiveness is about it's like it's like you know if you're this is this is so this is like illustrative of of the party system and we might getting be getting away from the main topic but we can circle back to it but it's just like on the left if you're not the if you're not perfect in every single way you That's are right. garbage and on the right if unless you're the worst possible person you're woke uh, <laughs> yes exactly That's you know so Teebs I. Th- I actually think that's even, I mean, uh, maybe getting away from the left and right of it all, but I think it was saying like that kind of 
what you just said, I think, is kind of one among characteristics of a very large class of people that we're trying to like talk about. So maybe it would be helpful for us since the word tender queer is kind of elusive and undefinable and like internet-y and like mostly most people probably don't even identify with that. Like, what is exactly this behavior? Because to mm. me, I feel like a lot of it is a failure to see outside of your own interests. A failure, I think a lot of times it's a self-involvedness mm. that like transmogrifies into a this is movement work, mm. you know? And I also think sometimes it can be a failure to understand the fluidity of movement mm. work and how sometimes your goals change. And sometimes it's just a failure to understand the way that all justice has to shapeshift and all justice has to continue to like move and grow, um, because you're so rigid in your belief system. I have a feeling. So I, I feel like I'm the most seemingly tender queer person on this podcast. Because <laughs> maybe so. Because because I I'm very sensitive. I cry <clears throat> all the time. I take things very personally. But I, and I do think there's something new about the tender queerness. It's not the it's it's it, it is a slightly different thing. And what I yeah. the way the way that I view the my definition of a tender queer is weaponizing one's own feeling one's one own feeling to have power over someone else, right? I, I think a lot mm. about the horseshoe theory of politics, which is that you can go so far left that you actually become fascistic mm. in your thinking. And that's kind of how I view the tender queerness. It's like being so personally affronted by kink at pride. It's the kink at pride example is just the perfect example, right? I am not yeah. consenting to see someone in a jockstrap. Therefore, you cannot wear a jockstrap. So fundamentally, I'm having, con- I'm arguing that I have control over your actions because of my my feelings, right? And so it's a weaponizing of one's own sensitivity and taking, you know, it's and again, I think that it, it's it's so tricky because as a as a person who was assigned male at birth, I've been attacked my whole life for being sensitive, like literally physically harmed for being so emotional. And so I hold my emotionality as something strong about myself. I love being an an emotional kind of gendered queer person. But that doesn't mean that just because I'm upset I get to go around controlling everyone else. That's the mm-hmm. sort of like the difference, I think. Well, how exactly? Sorry, you circled back to something um, that I was thinking about too when Teebs was first speaking, which is to me, it's like ultimately when we talk about the be this sort of tender queer behavior or mentality. To me, what it basically is is um, the adoption of the methods of like white women and white tears in conversations around mm. race. Mm-hmm. Um, in this context. So it's people who already, like, don't... The thing that, like, sort of blows my mind about it is it's people who, you know, sort of systematically speaking, don't have a whole lot of power in our society taking Mm -hmm. sort of the tools Mm -hmm. of the master um, and using it to build power over other folks who are within their same sort of identity identity group, if that makes sense. And it it kind of uses the tools of the in-group. It uses the fact that we're trying to, like, be an ethical community that minimizes harm. Like, we're trying to use transformative justice. And so it uses that language and it uses those tools actually to have power over. Because, again, these are people who might not have a lot of power, as you're saying, Den. And and so they use the sort of social, socially agreed upon language that we don't want to do harm, that we don't want to do this. But they actually are not doing it to avoid harm. They're doing it to yield power. Power is such a key word, Joe. And I think that that is something that like everyone, even like I I include myself among this, like when we try to talk, when we try to call someone out or when we try to have a moment of accountability or when we're trying to do something, you know, on our own, that is like on behalf of movement work, you always have to ask yourself, where am I looking for power in this? Mm -hmm. Even if I am not thinking about that, like, Mm -hmm. where am I trying to get my power back because I think what you said earlier about this group going so far, so far left that it's fascistic at times. I don't think that's too extreme to say like to, to weaponize an entire system of beliefs to forcibly suppress your opposition is the definition of fascism. Correct. Like that's just like what you're doing. And obviously they can't be conflated. Obviously there's a lot of nuance and obviously this is a structure, a spectrum. We're talking about very extreme examples, but like they're also very not so extreme examples of this that happen in our everyday. Yeah. I can't, I can't stop thinking about Sarah Schulman in this conversation because yes. number one, she wrote a book called conflict is not abuse. And so Period. just because you're upset doesn't mean someone's abusing you. There's a difference between power conflict. She writes and power over 
over. She says abuse mm. is when someone has power over you and is doing you harm and you cannot avoid that harm. That's abuse. But if you if we're in a mutualistic space and we have conflict, that conflict is not by definition definition abuse. And just because you're upset at me for that conflict does not mean you're being abused. And I think it's hilarious because, you know, who's gotten canceled seven times in the last four years by fucking tender queers is Sarah Shulman. Sarah Shulman. And I am not here yeah. saying that Sarah Shulman has never done a wrong thing or had a wrong opinion yeah, or anything sure. else. What I'm here to say is that conflict is not abuse is an essential book. And essentially the people tried to cancel her for her opinion on X or Y, it's like you're not – like y- your cancellation is undermined by her work, you know? And um, her yeah. book, Gentrification of the Mind, is like – like Sarah is work it, yeah. and her fiction, it's it's essential, you know? And so it's it's like not worth canceling her uh, over uh, your interpretation of her reaction to XYZ thing. Uh, it's actually much better to engage with her work, to engage with her ideas, to if you feel comfortable, engage with her as a human being and realize that we're all in community and she has actually not abused you. If she has abused someone, I would like to hear from that person about what abuse has happened. And, you know, go. Oh, no, I'm no, so no, sorry. no. That's it. I'm so sorry. That's it. I was just. So Sarah Shulman to me is like a patron saint of this podcast in a lot of ways. Like she's so many of her ideologies are like have transcended like decades of organizing. You know what I mean? Like and and to me, I I feel like I feel like we're just we're we're reaching a critical mass of 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 this exact kind of behavior. We're like. it's hard to talk about because it makes us sound old and it's hard to talk about because like it also sounds like kind of like Fox Newsy, like, you know, like, oh, the queers are so mad like this fucking like it's it's kind of tough to platform. But like, I think we as a podcast are, are we're really adamant about having an intracommunal conversation yep. about this. And to me, Sarah Shulman is always having intracommunal mm-hmm. conversations. Mm-hmm. She is always saying here are where queer and trans people are not doing the reading like they're not the, literally, <laughs> literally she's like this is this is how faggots have failed the movement you know what yep. i mean like she's always saying stuff like that and those aren't conversations we always like to have because when we have so much opposition on the right or whatever however you want to frame it like it you don't want to kind of fight internally but like these but because we are already fighting amongst ourselves it's worth it for us all to think about how we rectify Mm -hmm. that and um, my friend um chanda prescott weinstein says an incredible thing which is just that you don't have to like someone at all to be to be in coalition with them to to build a movement or an event with them to um support a union together um you know if if a person's being harmful towards you you you're not obligated to work with them but like this notion of like oh i can't build a movement because i don't like that person you think the fucking right sits around being like i don't like this or that ceo when they're fucking doing their evil lobbying and shit no they don't give a fuck they want to get the fucking job done and i think that that sort of pragmatic like movement building where you're like not, and it's also just true. I think there's this notion in the queer community that we all have to like each other. But I don't have to like everybody. No, I don't like everybody. No. Not everyone likes me, you know? And and that's that's actually fine. But I, I do feel like, you know, um, we can do good work together. If, if, we, if there yeah. are places where our work needs to intersect, just because you don't like me, you don't want to work with me, I mean, get a fucking life. Like, the, yeah. what we're facing is too big. We are facing erasure and social death. We are facing facing a fascist movement and i think there's something important about coalition building something that uh former um podcast guest dylan Marin always says is like empathy having empathy for someone is not an endorsement of their belief systems <laughs> like like just because you have chosen to see someone's humanity or just because you've chosen to like look at someone and say you know what at the end of the day, you are a human being, which is mm. truly like the, the the ethos of like almost any terrain of like movement work you can think of. Like we are human beings and our humanity is important. So like in order to quote unquote be embattled or to protest or to be in opposition to someone, you still do need to find their humanity or find like where they're coming from in order to, you know, figure out what your argument is or in, or in the case of what Joe's trying to illustrate, how to work with them. You know what I mean? It's also the baseline, right? So, like, 
just imagine how coalition building and how movements would work. And if we want to get sort of super into our political system, how how the left would function if we actually if we actually took that as a baseline, as a foundation, as a foundational mode of thinking and built from there. Because I think that very often also what happens sometimes is that when we're like ultimately sort of on the same side sociopolitically, but we don't like each other, people want to feel justified in not liking folks. Mm. And so they'll call things harm. They'll talk about things as being problematic when really it's like, y'all just have a difference of opinion or maybe y'all two just don't like each other. And you can still, as you all were saying, not like each other and still work together for the same cause. Lots of people work every day jobs with people that they do not like or do not care for, but they're on the same team, they've got the same goal, and they're able to to work and have professional relationships. And so it's like, it's like, you know, you don't have to justify not liking someone. You can just, you can still work together. I would like to ask the group a question, and this might mm, put us no. in like Uh-oh. hot water, and Uh-oh. we maybe we maybe have to hashtag take this out. But what it what is you? How do you feel about the word violence? Mm. Mm. I think that it is as capacious as the word harm as Mm. capacious as the word trauma these days i feel like we are loosey-goosey throwing things all around like and using them to our benefit and i often feel that when we i I think it's a little less true now but in 2020 or honestly even preceding that like honestly like in the trump era like we were using the word violence mm-hmm. like it was toilet paper. Yep. I you know what I mean? I, I have I've the word violence is something um my my bestie's dad is an old school Marxist. Um and uh when I was in college and out of college, we met in college, uh he was a very strong advocate as violence as a valid um method for advancing left-wing politics um, which is an old school marxist it's it's mao right it's like um mm-hmm. the revolution will come at, at, through the end of a gun i mean it's it's not new idea i think that's the thing that that angers me about this whole conversation is that number one these are not new ideas um when is yeah. violence permitted um what is violence what is not violence there's there's like again it's like to me it's like a lot of the queers not doing the reading and weaponizing mm-hmm. the term to avoid um accountability or to justify valid feelings um of of, yeah. of feeling of feeling bad i mean i I believe Fanon when he says colonialism enacts daily violence on the on the colonized. I do believe that there is structural and systemic violence. I believe 20th century and 21st century scholars of, of race, class, and gender, when they say there is structural violence in our country, then the prison industrial complex is a form of enacted violence, whether or not it physically does harm in exactly X, Y, or Z ways. Uh, and I believe Malcolm X, when he says um, structural violence can be countered with Violence. I, I, I don't think that it's unfair to say, you know, violence is, you know, we can punch Nazis. It's not completely off the table. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I just wish that people would come at it from these nuanced conversations that have been happening in leftist spaces for hundreds of years, mm-hmm. as opposed to just saying, um, you know, not using X pronoun is violence. Like, part you of, know, part of, What is so valuable, though, Joe, about what you just said, which I think makes a ton of sense, is that you talked about specific forms of violence just in that you were like structural Mm -hmm. violence. And I think it's it's often like part of the key between what you and, and Fran are maybe talking about for me is like. I can. I sometimes am a little bit suspect when people just throw around. Oh, this is violent. That is violent. Da 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 da. It's not to say that it's an invalid, but I sometimes I'm I'm a little bit like mm, let let me think about that. Let's parse that a little bit. But when you hear the term structural violence and you hear the term emotional violence, like like if you can be specific about about what the violence actually is in naming it, I feel like mm. it just makes it a lot more. It gives it more of a base it gives it makes it sturdier to me to to inquisition i wonder sometimes um if in the definition and this is just me personally so like i'm not espousing this as a belief but um it's like the difference between being yelled at by someone and being yelled at by someone you're afraid of Mm, 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 Mm. i'm actually curious to go back to the conversation of feelings because I think, and I think Joe, you know, and, and I it will have like a particularly nuanced kind of idea on this because I, I started with the killing Eve example because 
there was a kind of weaponization of how certain people writing personal essays felt specifically betrayed Mm -hmm. or how they felt like this was a failure to the community. Mm -hmm. And when you said, Joe, like they had like, you know, people that have very valid feelings. It's like, that's such an, that's important to acknowledge. Mm -hmm. Like the way you are feeling is valid and real. Like we're not discounting that or telling you that that doesn't have place in the conversation, but to take those feelings and to use them to structurally problematize something, Mm -hmm. I think becomes very ishy territory, but I think drives a lot of people with very loud platforms around issues that really have no, no place in movement work. Like if you're trying to find liberation in, in like, you know, a lesbian TV show, like you will not find it. Like that's not where movement work is leading us. You know what I I mean? I think we're getting a little um, conflated here on cultural criticism versus movement work. I think cultural criticism can be movement work, but it isn't so by definition. I also just think... But the thing is, some people that... I didn't mean to interrupt, I'm so sorry. It's just that a lot of people think that cultural criticism is movement Cultural criticism can be, but is not by definition movement work. That I'm going to say that here as just... Point one, your little think piece is not necessarily movement work. And I think you have to name it as such if you want it to be. And if you name it as such, well, there's going to be a certain amount of accountability and work you have to do in the piece. You're probably not going to be doing in the piece for the little $150 and a 24-hour turnaround. That's that on that. Period. Number one, n- n- I'm doing a Joe Biden speech. Number one. Number two, um, <laughs> I, look – is there a trope in literature that is harmful that has a gay side character and kills them off? Yes, there is. Is killing Eve – how many seasons of killing, fucking killing Eve did we have? We had seven fucking seasons and there's queerness all throughout and you're mad that a person who is a literal serial killer who has killed countless people through the course of the show got kills off and, and you're going to call that um, a part of this tro- – it's actually – the show kind of – evades all of the queer tropes that have existed. So maybe you're enforcing uh, a trope that is not actually true to the show. You're not reading the show properly. You are reading the trope properly, but not the show. That's number two. Number three, I'm thinking really hard about a piece of work that I think talks about this beautifully with barely ever saying the word violence. And I just finished Chantal V. Johnson's post-traumatic. And I think... One of the big things that the second half of that book talks about, it doesn't it it doesn't describe in detail any of the abuse that it that, you know, has happened to the characters um, that is physical. Uh, There's a rape. There is a lot of physical harm, physical violence. um, But the the scenes from her childhood that are described um, are almost there. They are a different type of neglect, a different type of I would call it violence. This child is being treated violently by their parents without being hit. And that I think is is she wrote that so incredibly well. And the trauma that comes not just from being physically harmed, but from being emotionally harmed uh is real real trauma that we have to work through. But that does not mean that every bad feeling you ever have is violence. Hmm. Well, well wow. said. That that was really wow, that was amazing, Joe. But also to say that like a show doesn't owe you anything. Like <laughs> because yeah. I mean that's all other conversation we should I get know, into. I know, but it. it just I'm just saying that like that's the thing about toxic fandom, which is like Oh, yes. because I identify with this, it owes me fan service or it owes me something and I get what I want. And it's like, yeah, first of all, TV shows were invented to sell vacuum cleaners. Like, let's just be real yeah. about that. Like, yeah. mm-hmm. the fact that anything gets made that's good is a fucking miracle, especially yep. when you take into account how anesthetized fucking studio heads are and how they want to make everything its most boring version possible. To have anything made is a miracle. To have anything made good is double that. And just like... You just turn on your TV. Like, how much? It's not like you paid $15 to go into a theater and do this. Like, come on now. Like, well, even that, I think this speaks, and I'm, I've just been, I, this is poking a lot of things in my head that I, that I talk about and coalescing them into yeah. this one idea. But it, it, it makes me think a lot about the American expectation of what art gives us. Um, and, and, mm. and versus like when I lived in France, um, where a movie ends sad or a show ends in a, like yes. purposely there's a whole no movement in, in like sixties and seventies French cinema that is specifically meant to, you are supposed to be annoyed and bored watching the entire film. And you are supposed to sit through the film and be annoyed and bored. And your expectation of the film 
is explicitly denied. And I think as Americans, we have this expectation that I'm going to like the end. And I think, you know, not to, God, it's the straightest reference ever of all time. This, the end of Seinfeld does that beautifully, right? Everyone wanted this like wrapped up, tied in a bow end to an iconic series. And they basically were like, fuck you on that. We're going to do this weird, bizarre, non-ending. And people hated it, right? So I think mm-hmm. what Teebs is saying about what do we expect art to give us? Oh, I feel bad or I feel upset because of a piece of art didn't end the way that I wanted it to. Yeah. It's fucking art. Yeah, dude. It's like watch Chantal Ackerman have a lady eating sugar in bed for fucking 20 minutes. And you're like, what is going on? <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, we're going to hold we're, we're going to have to do a whole other 2.0 on like representation in general, especially when it comes to like art and entertainment. Um, but like, I think the reason I like, you know, we're like keep laddering back to it and why they're kind of always entwined is because like right in, in these specific instances, these like a TV show is now beholden to an ideology it never subscribed to. And, 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 you know, toxic fandom and how we talk about that. Yes. Is something that has existed in eons at four eons, but because like, like people in the tender queer area or just like people that exploit social justice, kind of like movement work in general have, taken over so much space on the internet yeah. and have, have done so much to platform themselves. And because they speak mm. so authoritatively and often on social media where there is no real room for nuance, that has created a kind of culture of fear in so many different corners mm-hmm. of the world. Wherein, if we if we end a show where a lesbian dies, we now have to have the actors apologize, which they are. They are on press junkets like, trying to having to try and justify the ending and trying to like work out like how this is like not quote unquote problematic why this has no play you know what yeah. i mean it's just like kind of cuckoo bananas that these two area these two completely separate fields of our lives have bled into each other in a way that just makes everything not yeah, fun no. you know I what did i mean not i just like they so were actually apologizing I, I, yes. I, no, they're not. They're not. I should say they're not apologizing. They're having to answer to a lot of questions, and people, fans are calling for an apology. Like literally, fans have have like written, you know, like change.org petitions demanding an apology from the. Critics. I think I just need to say one more time: think pieces are not movement work. Period. Ugh, I'm feeling full, but like I could fit one more thing inside of me. Den knows how I feel. Oh yes. So, Dan, why don't you put the cherry on our top this week? Um, Okay, so this week's um, cherry on our top is one of my favorite shows that I rewatched for the first time since it um, went off the air in 2010, and that is Ugly Betty. Um, So, for those who may not know, it's actually kind of wild the amount of time has passed. Ugly Betty premiered on ABC ABC, um, in... 2006. So I was I was 20 years old. I was a, a junior in college when it premiered, and it was starring America Ferrera. And the whole concept is that it was based on this um, Colombian TV show produced by Salma Hayek and Silvio Horta. And um, yes. the whole idea is that there's this sort of like very sort of messy, unattractive young. Latino woman who's just out of college and whose dream is to be a magazine editor to eventually start her own magazine. And she ends up working as the assistant to the editor-in-chief of, um, you know, a sort of Vogue magazine knockoff called Mood Magazine. And it's and it's as a telenovela, like a, a true, tried and true, absolutely wackadoodle, like soap opera. It's a very specific genre. Betty La Fea, that was what Betty it was La called. Betty La Fea, yes, <laughs> Betty La Fea. And like high camp, like high camp, through and through. And so I loved this show. I watched it every single week um, for four years. And at the time, um, one of the things that was really exciting to me was that um, Betty, Betty's nephew is this character, Justin Suarez, who starts the show very young, very much. Like, I think the character was like 11 or 12, like clearly a sort of musical theater show queen type kid who's, um, you know, represented that way, is very effeminate throughout the show, obsessed with fashion, very queeny and funny and clever. Um, and eventually in the series does does eventually come out. But um, we hadn't really seen representation before that that I can think of of like a young queer kid of color on TV. But the other thing that was really interesting that I almost forgot about actually 
until we started watching it is that there's another character played by Rebecca Romaine, who's a trans woman. And um, she and, and I think there's a lot of problems in the way that um, she's, you know, presented in this show, um, including as a, as a plot device. But I do rem- I do keep thinking about the fact that this was 2006, and I'm not sure that there had ever really been a trans character featured on television, like mainstream television, up until that point. And so I think there, you know, and Rebecca Romaine is a cisgender woman, and so that's another complicated part of this. But it was really interesting rewatching it because for me, one of the things I started remembering is that, like, I, I realized I might be trans when I was 18 years old, and I spent many, many years saying, no, you're not, you're not going to do that, you're not going to go there, that's too much, going to be too much for your family, they can't handle it, like, being gay is difficult enough, blah, 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 blah. And I'm realizing that, for me, at that age, that was, like, probably for quite some time, my primary sort of representation of transness and what it meant to be trans and like mm. and, and and how that impacted the people around you and so I've just been sort of wrestling with the impact of that um you know given that I given where I am now and also the fact that like I I mean I'm not at a fashion magazine I'm at a literary journal but I'm an, I am professionally an editor and an editor-in-chief is my title and that was a, a thing in that show and it's all just sort of swirling around in my head in a way that I haven't yet made sense of that might produce an essay but I was Mainly. just going to say, Dad, this sounds like a think piece. <laughs> oh, no. Do not degrade my deep thoughts by calling them a think piece. This is an essay. This sounds like a think piece slash movement work. Um, movement work. But the point is, um, ultimately, I, I still love the show. It brings me so much joy. There's incredible fashion in it. Um, it's incredibly queer. It's really diverse as well. It, um, it also stars Vanessa Williams, who I would argue, actually, is... Um, while canonically a cisgender character as playing the character Wilhelmina Slater, that while she's canonically cis, I would actually argue, um, and we can go down this rabbit hole if y'all want, I would argue that she's actually more of a trans character and a better representation of transness in that series. Well, I mean, that would ma- certainly make me feel better about all the T-slurs she had to say. On Listen, that. well, there were many. There were many. And I started thinking about that, too. I was just thinking about that, and I was like, why was that so okay then, and what did that mean and I you know as a space that was trying to be trans affirming ultimately I just like I I haven't worked it all out yet I'm thinking about it still I also feel like that was like around the time um like Christian Siriano was on on Project Runway and Mm -hmm. everything was TTT and it was like uh and then like that would just be on Saturday Night Live and yeah yeah and and I mean honestly America's Next Top Model as well preceding that like um yeah, I I, uh, I I've said this on the pod before. Ugly Betty is the number one reason I work in media. Period. Like mm-hmm. she was the modeling of my personhood more than any other corner, sort of representational figure I could ever think of. Like she is everything to me. Um, but like on the kind of you know the, how the show was very of its time. I think it's very telling how certain shows when we when we know how they're problematic or when we know they how they kind of invoke violence or whatever, the shows that kind of transcend that um, are the ones that like champion like where the heart of the show mm-hmm. is, which is around the idea of not be not belonging to something that you're going to forge through anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that the fact that like all of my trans friends love Ugly Betty is like very telling, yes. even though it's like a very, pro- like a very kind of fucked up show when it comes to trans trans identity it's, politics. It's also a fucked up show for a very important reason that I must state explicitly. It's called Ugly Betty and it stars America Pereira, who is the hottest it's hot erasure. Yes. It is hot person <laughs> erasure. She's so hot. Oh my god. Dare they. I, I I watched I'm watching We Crash on Apple TV and it's such a terrible show. And uh, and America Ferrera is the only thing worth watching. And she like some of the scenes are like sexualized because she's, she's so, so like she's magnanimous so hot. and beautiful. Oh my god. Um, yeah. And and to, I mean to be fair, they did make Ugly Betty hot in like the lat- the latter half of the the last season. They did. Like she took off her braces and they you know made her hair straighter and like you know gave her contact. She started lenses. wearing it was like all the things. Yeah, she started wearing couture. I was like, okay, okay. I was like, oh, I, yeah. I, I remember to this day, the the clear my clearest memory of Ugly Betty was when Justin's dad stood up for him on the subway. Yes. Yes. That, like, moment was so, I was, like, I was unconsolable. I was just, I was just, yeah. 
Oh my Were God. you crying? I tender queer about, teams. I, tender queer teams. Yeah. I forgot about to that give scene, To give a little Tommy. bit of context, oh um, you know, so Betty's sister had a baby, Justin, when she was in high school, and she's basically been raising him as a single mother, although his father, I guess, is around and, like, maybe in the neighborhood. And they're kind of, like, starting to, to see each other again, and, and he's getting to know his son, Justin, and he's kind of being homophobic, like, through several kind of episodes. Like, he's being like, we don't want him to turn out gay, da-da-da-da-da. And they're going to see a Broadway musical, and... um Wicked. They're going to see Wicked, yes. God, because th- that's the time that this was in. They're going to see Wicked. Mm-hmm. Their train gets um, stalled, un- you know, uh, their subway gets stalled underneath, you know, under the ground. And they're stuck there. And Justin's so sad that he's his dad is going to miss Wicked that he starts... Or no, it's Hairspray. It's Hairspray. Because he starts singing um, the first song of Hairspray. And... Um, some, you know, asshole starts, like, you know, calling him names and being terrible, and his father just gets up and absolutely defends him and protects him in that space. Um, and it's, like, it is a moment that every, I feel like every queer kid who, like, you know, was in that, in a situation like that and maybe chose not to be ourselves in that situation because we knew what would happen and we didn't think we'd be protected, um, we all saw that, I think, and, like, wept. And, mm-hmm. and... Yeah, it was. It's maybe my favorite scene of the whole show. I have. I have next well, week's dessert. Do you guys? Do you all remember when we recorded in Greenpoint and we would leave on the train and we'd be on the tr- G train going back to Manhattan and Den would be on the mm-hmm. G train going to Queens and she would mm-hmm. put in her headphones and do her figure skating routines full <laughs> on with jumps and choreography across Boy. the <laughs> Den. You fully. Oh. You are that queen who just is herself on the subway. Mm. Anything uh, else? Be damned. Yeah. There was We're, there was literal oh, figure skating jumps across the G <laughs> train platform. Am... That's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm so overdue for an Ugly Betty rewatch. So let's do it, mm. fam. Yeah. This episode of Food for Thought is made possible by the generous, unequivocal support of Rosé and our home at Stitcher. Our producer is the talented Tagliolini, Alexandra De Palma. <laughs> Tagliolini? Tagliatelle? What is, what is that word? <laughs> uh, subscribe, rate, and review us five stars on iTunes, or we sick the bussy bandit herself, Den Michelle, on you. I am Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> you should Tommy- be so lucky. I'm Tommy Teebs Pico. You can find me at Hey Teebs, H-E-Y-T-E-E-B-S on Instagram because I deleted Twitter. I'm Fran. You can find me at Fran Squishco anywhere you want. And please listen to my new show, Like a Virgin with Rose Domino, anywhere you listen to podcasts. I'm Joseph Osmondson. You can find me at www.josephosmondson.com where, as always, you can pre-order my book, Virology, that comes out in only two months. And I'm Den Michelle Norris, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the Den Michelle, and follow my editorial pursuits at Electric Literature. Find us on Instagram as Gay Sluts Who Read, and join us on Facebook and Twitter at Food for Thought Pod. And finally, send your questions, thoughts, concerns, and dicks to thoughts at foodforthoughtpodcast.com. As always, that's food, the number four, and thought spelled how? T H O T. Bye, babies. Good job. 